Welcome to Chain Reaction, Tales from the Supply Chain Frontline, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the complex and fascinating world of international trade. In each episode, we'll dive into specific aspects of the supply chain and hear from executives across all sectors to understand the challenges occurring and the solutions put in place. Whether you're an executive with a solution or an executive in need of one, stay tuned because Chain Reaction has something or someone for you. And of course, please like, subscribe, and share our podcast with your friends. Welcome to Chain Reaction, Tales from the Supply Chain. We have today somebody with us that specializes in industrial warehousing and for us in the logistics portion of supply chain. We all have offices with our back to a warehouse. We're all in and out of warehouses. We're walking those floors and it's going to be real fun talking with Chad today because he lives and breathes industrial warehousing and it's going to be fun to get his pulse on the market and what's going on past, present, and future. Chad, if you could, please give us an introduction to yourself. Yeah. Thanks for that, Jeff. And appreciate being a guest on the show. It's a, it's an honor to talk to you again. And I, th- I think we'll unpack a lot of fun things in this show. So I started in industrial real estate in 2005. I've been a broker since then. So 18 years I've been at the same company. And then I started investing in industrial properties myself in 2014. So I, I live, breathe and sleep this industry. And I've got a podcast myself talking about industrial real estate. So I try to keep abreast of all major topics, anything related to warehousing, like you mentioned in the global supply chain, because whether it's a a warehouse in China or whether it's a warehouse on a port in the US or an inland market, there's nuances to all of them, but they all play a pivotal role in the overall supply chain of getting goods from the factory floor to mine in your front door. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And a lot of times what we are running into is how different companies are managing their inventories. And that's where we are helping companies, right? Are you going to do a longer lead time? Are you wanting to keep your inventories? Do you want a forward stocking location, regional distribution centers, just in time? That's our discussions with the clients. And then we're going to brokers like yourself to understand what's the available capacity in a market. What is your pulse on the market? What's the capacity from a warehousing perspective? What's the demand? What's Amazon telling you? What's Bezos telling you he needs and what's available? What's he willing to pay? Well, it's interesting because you hear what's in the news, the headlines, which are always sensational. The the mainstream media seems to be in the business right now of trying to either scare or frighten everybody. You hear that Amazon has given up roughly 30 million square feet worth of space that they had planned, whether it was 
in construction or whether they had just had an intent to do it. You hear that they've given up 30 million square feet, but what they don't tell you is they were originally planning 130 million square feet worth of expansion. So yes, they have canceled plans for 30 million, but they're still proceeding on another 100 million square feet. So Amazon is a beast. They they are the barometer for the warehousing market as a whole, just given the size of their e-commerce market share. Where I would say that there's a difference in attitude and there's a difference even in the market itself is when you start looking past that macro scale, which we all tend to do. We all, we're all trying to all figure out what these macro trends are. And ultimately, those have to be boiled down to a micro level where you look at each individual market. And if you look at some of these major port markets, New York, Long Beach, LA being probably the main three right now, they're all sub 2% vacancy rate and their rental rates have escalated considerably over the last three years. So these port markets are really hot. It's very difficult even finding capacity in there. So a lot of companies are looking to either add another port to their supply chain. So instead of focusing just on Long Beach or just on New York, they're now considering Southern markets, or they might even be considering a Canadian market to get port access where you're not having the supply constraints. But if you start going inland, then, then you start getting into some of these more, like a Dallas is an example. Dallas has actually led the U.S. last year in industrial development. That was 70 million square feet worth of industrial property under development in an inland market, which is crazy to think of. But their vacancy rate is more healthy in the 5 to 6% range. So there's, there's availabilities for companies that can be creative. But for that company that says, we want to lease a 200,000 square foot warehouse in Long Beach, it's going to be very difficult finding something that's going to work for them. You hit on a whole lot there. Right. So one thing you just hit on was the vacancy rate. What is a healthy vacancy rate for a market? I think Dallas is probably the best example. In And I've been doing this for 18 years and I've seen even in my own market where we had sub 2%, we were probably even sub 1%. So we were on par with some of those port markets right now. It's very, very difficult finding space. So it becomes a heavy landlord market when you get that low. And then if you actually compare it to the office market right now, and there's office markets that are seeing 20 to 30% vacancy, that's a very unhealthy market for the landlords where there's just a lot of empty space on the industrial side. I think Dallas is a pretty good represent representation of a healthy market. Tenants have options. Landlords aren't panicking that there's not a, a demand from the tenant side. So I would say long answered a, a short, a long answer condensed into a short answer. Five to 6% is probably a healthy market. Yeah. Cause it seems, and I, I guess, you know, and you and I have talked, I'm, I'm, also a commercial real estate investor driven by my supply chain thesis is which is where those macro dollars right you were just leading into that right amazon where are they going and where are the big commercial dollars going and that's where the influx of investment dollars will probably follow agreed so, um and that's kind of what that commercial real estate vacancy rate is a good one, right? 95% occupancy. So Long Beach. So you're saying that even Long Beach with its problems, there's there's headlines. You're, you're leading into the, the headlines that there's a lot of departure from Long Beach. I live in Houston. 
We see a lot of growth in Houston. There's still companies looking to park their product there. And we, we don't see any challenges other than just too much demand and not a lot enough capacity coming on online. Mm-hmm. So interesting. And I've studied this more than, than I care to admit, almost at a nerd level hobby, hobby level here. So Long Beach and LA at the peak had 40% of any good that came into North America would come through Long Beach or LA. So dominant port by a country mile. Interestingly though, their numbers are down, not even just from year over year, but from pre-COVID levels, the imports into the Long Beach and LA ports are down 28% pre-COVID numbers. So there already is a shift and it's undeniable. There's, there's no, it's, it's clear and evident actually at this point that there is a clear shift away from the Long Beach and, and LA ports. And that could be labor constraints added to warehouse capacity issues of finding available space. It's, it's not a pro pro business state, California in, in general, they're putting a lot of problems into not just the warehousing industry, but the trucking industry, as I'm sure you're aware of. There's even a number of counties that are proposing outright warehouse moratoriums where they don't want to even add more warehouse space. So I think a lot of these companies are saying, we still need to get our product into the US, but we're running into all these issues in Long Beach and LA. And if there ever is a disrupting force again, and you have to, you see a hundred cargo ships that can't even dock. I think a lot of companies are saying we're still going to look at LA and Long Beach. That's there's that's not going to change. There's always going to be demand for that just because of the proximity to China. But the, a lot of companies are not going to run everything through there anymore. So that's where you start seeing companies now looking at Charleston or Jacksonville, anywhere on the East Coast, even coming down into the South Coast, Mexico, coming into Canada. There's the whole thing with the CP Kansas City Rail merger that was just recently approved by the Surface Transportation Board. Single rail line now connecting Canada, US, and Mexico. I think that's going to change the flow of freight. I I think we're actually going to go away from that traditional east to west movement of rail, and we're going to see more south to north movement. I don't think that LA and Long Beach are in jeopardy of, of seeing a crash. I think that there's still a lot of reasons to be optimistic about that, but I think that they've peaked. I don't see that market continuing to grow at the same frantic pace that they have over the last few decades. I think we're going to start seeing other port markets, Savannah being a really good one. You you look at the million square foot buildings going up around the US right now, Savannah is doing very, very well for, for those reasons is that companies are just looking at having other options as opposed to getting bottlenecked into a single port like that. Mm-hmm. Everybody take note. Chad Griffith said invest in Savannah. That's what I I, I I like Georgia. I like, so if as an investor myself, everything that I have is concentrated in one area, but I'm looking to move to, to other areas as well. And, and where I'm most interested in Sunbelt, class B industrial in the Sunbelt, but I'd exclude those blue states, not because of, of any other reason other than they don't seem to be as pro business as the, as the red states. I like Texas. I like Florida. I like everything up that East coast until you start running into like the New Jersey and New York area. I'd stay away from those, but Savannah looks like a a great market for me right now, just on the amount of massive buildings that are being built. All those companies are going to need to have 
services themselves. So they're going to have forklifts, they're going to have racking, they're going to have robotics. All of that stuff has to be serviced by even smaller warehouse spaces and manufacturers and service providers. And I don't think that infrastructure is being built to accommodate these big box warehouses right now. So mm-hmm. I, I like Savannah. It's don't, I, I always say, don't take advice from me. I'm a guy sitting in front of a black wall with a light behind me. I'm the last guy that anyone wants to take advice from, but my investment thesis myself, uh, Mm -hmm. I'd be very bullish on, on any of those big port markets, Savannah, Charleston, Jacksonville, anywhere down in Southern Houston. I like Southern Texas. I really like Corpus Christi as a market right now for that reason too. But yeah, it's, I I would personally, I would stay away from California, New York. That's just my own investment thesis. And I'd be pretty bullish on those red states in the Sun Belt. So we talk about the future growth. Being here in Houston, if if you have driven anywhere along Highway 25 or 225 and, and, and down into that Pasadena Deer Park, Port Houston area over the past, if you did it 10 years ago and you do it today, it, it is warehouse central. And mm-hmm. so the, the amount of capacity for warehousing, Dallas is the same. It is tremendous growth. So the question for you, and, and I've not been to Savannah, I've not been to Jacksonville. I went, but I didn't get to go to the port. What kind of capacity has come online and what kind of demand is there still? And, and so how do we view those metrics for, you know, what, what is needed still and what kind of timeline there's going to be to catch up, you know, like I see that on the multifamily side, market by market, you know, we're, we're 5 million homes short and there's this many units coming online in the next three years nationally, you can break it down and blah, blah, blah. Do you have data for that on the warehouse side? Yeah, so I could take it back up to that 30,000 foot view again. And uh, two really interesting stats is that rental rates year over year, and I believe this data was in February. I don't think they've compiled March's data yet, but still February was right when we were having the peak of interest rates. So I I think that that's still applicable in today's market. Rental rates nationally have still increased and vacancy rates have still decreased. So you still have this market where rental rates are going up and vacancy is going down, that suggests, and that's usually a trigger for the development community to add more inventory. If you have those conditions, that's when you want to add inventory. The constraint that we're seeing right now is that interest rates are causing developers to actually pause. Yes. So there, it, it, it's anybody's guess. Like my my crystal ball is as murky as anyone else's. But again, just kind of how I try to synthesize all this information is if you have a market where prices are going up, your vacancy is declining, and there could be development constraints which prohibit new inventory from coming on the market as developers pause, I think that we could be in a position call it later this year, early 2024, especially if the economy starts to recover. If the if the feds are forced to lower interest rates and that spurs on the economy again, we could be faced with a pretty big shortage of, of industrial space 2024, 2025 until that new inventory comes back online. Now, the corollary of that is that the whole market can crash and then we see vacancy rates double and we see downward pressure on on rental rates, that's certainly a, a possibility. I, I don't think anybody can just look at this through pure rose-colored glasses. But if 
if much like yourself as an investor, I'm, I'm the same way is that you make your your best case scenario, most likely scenario, and your worst case scenario, even in that worst case scenario, I still don't see a lot of threats to the industry beyond if there is an economic slowdown, maybe rental rate has paused, or maybe there's a little bit of pressure on it. Maybe there is some uptick in vacancy, but if that if that's the case, everything is going to be affected. So where would you rather be parked? Would you rather be parked in another asset class where there isn't all this upside potential, which I think industrial has unique into itself. Multifamily, there's downward pressure on rental rates right now. There's upward pressure on all the expenses operating and CapEx. So there's all this upward pressure. Where would you rather be parked? And for myself, I've I've answered this question because I have the majority of my money in industrial real estate. Even if there is a downturn, I'd still rather be parked in something that I I see a long-term outlook for with a lot of upside potential as opposed to being tucked into cash or or T-bill. Those just don't excite me. So I, I like industrial for that reason. I still think that there's uncertainty over the next year or so until we have some direction on interest rates. That will be the key lever that gets pulled or manipulated this year. And on the other side of it, I, I just see sunshine and rainbows for industrial. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you've kind of touched on what the, the hot markets are that you like, basically any of the red states. <laughs> that's, that's where you're looking, you know, from a leasing perspective, what kind of activity are you seeing? Are, are you seeing the drivers go into those those particular markets? And that's what is driving your thesis that way? Port markets are very active still. I don't see much of a decline there. There's, there's healthy activity for companies that want to lease space in those markets. There's a lot of capital chasing very few availabilities. Those markets are pretty hot. So from an institutional standpoint, I still see a lot of demand. Like the big companies like BlackRock or Prologis, those companies are going to specifically choose to pursue those types of markets. I, I like the I like the the tertiary markets that and I get, this is just my own investment philosophy as opposed to talking about it from that that macro level again. I like those markets where there there are opportunities. You don't have that big institutional money chasing a very few opportunities. So that's Houston's a very interesting one for me, even though it's a, a major market in the US already and there's a lot of activity. It's not on the same radar as a company like Prologis that's going to consider Los Angeles or Long Beach first. Houston's still that secondary market, at least from that from their standpoint. So those are interesting markets for me. Really? Why yeah. why is that why is it considered a secondary market? Secondary in the in from that big institutional standpoint. That just the majority of their portfolios are in those very dense port markets. And I don't think Houston even though Houston is definitely a a, a main market from population and economic growth and the drivers in there, I think secondary through the lens of one of those big institutional industrial landlords, not through the lens of of just everyday people who would th- see Houston as a major market. I think it's secondary through their lens where they're more focused on those very tight port markets, Long Beach, LA, New York. Yeah. Well, awesome, man. And are there specific markets that you know you are specifically your your company is leasing that you guys have leases that you're open that you're looking for clientele to fill it up 
Yeah, I mean, we're our companies. It's a global company, but we're we're a managed network, so it's essentially franchised offices all over. So there is, but there's 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 availability for everything. So there's nothing specifically that we're we're marketing as as opposed to in any individual market. Landlords are trying to lease space, tenants are trying to find space, yeah. buyers and sellers are trying to transact. So yeah, not nothing specifically that I'd want to mention. Yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. You know, I think we talked last week that there was reports about large LTL companies and Target, Costco. These guys are going robust and investing millions, tens of millions of dollars, basically in, in final mile delivery, which is going to consist of warehousing. I mentioned to you about some clients that are nearshoring into Mexico, which is going to affect the Corpus Christi market. It's going to mm-hmm. affect the Brownsville market. That's going to be industrial warehousing. It's going to be multifamily on the U.S. side, right? It's going to be Mexico as well. So I'm right there along with you. You know, industrial warehousing is going to be continuing in demand. Just data, you know, you have your your fingertips on all that data and that's nice. How can folks get in touch with you, Chad? Probably my YouTube channel will be best. That's the handle is just at industrialize. And I just make a ton of videos about anything to do with industrial real estate. Okay. Well, that's awesome. So at industrialize. Yep. And I will be sure to put that in the show notes. And anybody can get in touch with Chad Griffiths here at industrialize on YouTube. He is an aficionado in the art of industrial real estate. And if you have any questions, I promise you, he's very responsive, man. Hit him up. He loves talking to stuff. He's a real resource. Chad, is there anything you want to add? No, that's perfect. Like I said at the beginning, it's an honor to be on your show. I look forward to your podcast journey and catching future guests you have on as well, because I I love this topic and and I'm hyper-focused on the warehousing side, but I also appreciate how broad it expands beyond that. So I'm very excited just to be a a fan of your show and catch future episodes as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the journey. I'm learning a lot on it. And I appreciate you coming on and and dropping some knowledge, man. So with that, we will sign off. Appreciate everybody tuning in to another episode of Chain Reaction. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Signing off. Thanks, Jeff. And that's a wrap on this episode of Chain Reaction. Tales from the Supply Chain Frontline. We hope you enjoyed diving deep into the world of international trade, supply chain, and global logistics with us. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and never miss an episode. And if you have any feedback, questions, or suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you on our next episode of Chain Reaction.